Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hello and welcome back to the Power Hour, the Heritage Foundation Center for Energy, Climate, and Environments podcast. I'm your host, Jack Spencer, and I'm joined today by my colleague and Power Hour producer, John Pop. John, how are you today? I'm great, Jack, but I just want to let you know about my level of dedication to this podcast. Okay. Just so people know, we're, we're doing the Power Hour during my lunch hour, so, but it's okay, I'm good. I, 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 told, I thought, man... I feel horrible now because I thought I told you I changed it no, from the power hour to the power lunch hour. Oh, that's even better. Can we get a sponsor and get some food in here? I've been trying to get us a sponsor. Come on, Spotify. This You want to get on this ship now at the ground level because we right. are going to the moon, baby. Like, like a rocket ship This is exactly. taking off. Get on board. No, I'm great. I am great. I'm great, too. I just had the craziest experience I'm going to tell our listeners about. Oh, boy. So that they, like if they ever experience this. A couple hours ago. I'm sitting at my desk preparing for this here podcast, and I get a phone call. Sounds legit. They say they're from the Louisa County, where I'm from, um, court system or whatever. The guy even had an accent to go along with it. Says that there is a federal warrant out for my arrest. Now, at first I took this as a compliment because I don't, I don't engage in illegal activities but God knows I spent enough time railing against the politicians and bureaucrats in this town. I thought, hey, someone, someone's listening to this thing. They got it out for me. They finally got you, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was like, okay, what's going on? They So to, to make a long story short, well, to make a long story medium size, what happened, and the reason I'm telling folks this, because if you get this phone call, like, know that this happened. They said that I was scheduled for uh, federal jury duty. And that I didn't show up. And uh, well, I've spent a lot of time on jury duty. I don't not show up. And I take that stuff seriously. Right. So I, I, said, I said, look, I'm terribly sorry. I didn't get it. And they were like, well, we sent it. And there's this new procedure. And, um, and it sounded legit. And I was working with the guy. And uh, he said, in order, he said, as it stands, because there's a warrant out for your arrest, if you be, come in contact with a agent of government of any sort, you will be under arrest um, and brought in until this gets resolved. He said, the way to resolve that, he said, you just need to pay this um, bond or bail or whatever. They had a fancy word for it. And that protects you. Then once you come in, that gets resolved you get refunded mm. and you're all good. Right, right, right. And be, well, before that, he sent me the warrant, and you know I'm just some dumb redneck. I don't know what a warrant, <laughs> but it looked looked legit to me. And whenever they send it to you, it's like holy cow, got your name on it and like clerks' names and stuff. But when he asked me for the money, I was like, look, I I hear you. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but let me call you back because the, you know you're asking me for money. And so he gave me the number. I called back. The person answered that it was the um, the Louisa County something or other. I asked for the guy. It went through. So I thought, it, this is real. Seemed seem legit. Right. But I had to come and do this podcast. So I said to him, I said, look, I, oh, and as I would ask things, things that he didn't know an answer to, he would say he needs to go check with whatever. Uh. Made it feel really legit. 
Anyhow, um, I said, I can't deal with this right now. Is it possible for my wife to take this over to get us to where we need to be? He said he had to go check with the Oz behind the curtain. <laughs> And um, he said, yeah, gave me the information how to do that. So I gave it to mom. And thank God for my wife. My wife, who would never be under federal investigation for anything, she engaged with them and she called back, you know, a couple minutes ago or half an hour ago and said, I think this is a scam. So she then investigated. She reached out to the, the sheriff's office and mm. they were like, yeah, they've tried this before. It is a scam. Wow. Oh. They had they had me 85% right. convinced wow. that this was happening. And they're, they're trying to get you to give money right away. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the fishy part. And, and it very sounds like a pretty well-organized scam. I mean, mm-hmm. they have a number to call back. They've got a warrant. they got, you know, the people accent. answering the phone. I know. The accent. Louise County Sheriff's Office. What do you know need? Anyway, it, it was something else. So anyway, that's that. So folks. Don't trust anyone. Like, if you learn nothing from this podcast ever, don't trust anyone. I mean, that's what we preach. I mean, you can trust certain people, but be skeptical. That's what that's we want right. to say. Be skeptical. My Healthy God. skeptism, especially when it comes to government. Oh, God. Anyway, that's that. All that said, I'm energized. I just, in addition to what we just talked about, I just spent the last couple of days in Oklahoma City oh, at awesome. the Ham Institute's Conference on American Energy Security. And that thing... Unlike these filthy scammers, this thing was legit. <laughs> it featured speakers, speaker after speaker from America's gas and oil industry, talking about how they're bringing Americans reliable, affordable, and clean energy. They talked about innovation, competition, talked about building and producing. It was, it was really good. I'm going to mention a name here. This is not, you know, we are non-political, but I'm just mentioning because it was interesting. Nikki Haley spoke there. Right. I thought her message was, was good. Now, between us, John, yeah, maybe cut this part out. Some of them did talk a little bit too much about CO2 and carbon capture and sequestration uh. as being an important part of the future of their industry. Now, I don't really agree with that. Yeah. I get where they're coming from. They're under a lot of pressure. But here's the thing, man. I honestly believe, and I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, or I suspect I will at some point be wrong. The people who are pushing this carbon stuff, they're not trying to figure out ways for the gas and oil industry to be successful. Oh, no. And I think to the extent that they go down that road, I don't know. I don't know. You ever feel like they're they're kind of sowing the seeds of their own extinction? That's what they When they go all in on this stuff. Because I see all the energy companies are going that way. And they're such good American companies. I love them. What I just said is just a minor. It's not a critique of them. Right. It's really not. I just an amazing industry, but it is something I'm concerned about is we all navigate sort of this changing environment. But anyway, the reason though I bring it up is it is perfect in leading into today's topic and guest. One of the things we talk about here all the time is the importance of energy to economic growth and human well-being and flourishing and how that results in a better environment. Well, today we're going beyond just going to just talking about that stuff with words and anecdotes. But we have someone who looks at the real data. We have a, a publication here at the Heritage Foundation that looks at these things. And it has looked at the relationship between economic growth, economic freedom, and a good environment, and a, a bunch of other indicators of human well-being. Now, you know, John, I only 
I, I don't even consider bringing someone onto this podcast if they don't have two qualities. Quali two. Quality number one, they have to be, I know people think I'm kidding, but the, who I think are the actual best to talk about these the things. Creme de la creme. Like, if someone less than that calls, is like, hey, I want to be, be on your podcast, I'm like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time. Are you the best? I ask them. If they can't say I'm the best, then I'm not interested. This person meets that condition. Good. I don't know of anyone who knows the data better, who is more principled. This person meets that. This person meets criteria number two in as equally robust a way, which is, do I like this person? Do I get along with this person? <laughs> not only do I like this person, not only do I get along with this person, I have admiration for this person. I have spent time outside. I like this person so much that I've spent time out of work with this person. I will continue to do so in the future. He, this person is a friend of mine. And he also knows this other stuff. I introduce to our Power Hour audience my good friend and the best person to talk about economic freedom and how it results in a good environment, the editor of Heritage's Index of Economic Freedom and research fellow, Mr. Anthony Kim. Anthony, welcome to the Power Hour. Wow. Thank you, Jack. really appreciate your big hug. I yeah. feel it. <laughs> you, I... I I might give you a hug. <laughs> this I'm, table's not that wide. Very symbolic <laughs> hug you gave me. I'm very delighted, honored right. to be with you, Jack. Uh, right. By the way, I'm going to jump in on that, too, that the Index Economic Freedom is one of my favorite things here at Heritage. Oh, thank it's, you, John. It's really, really great. Thank you. It's a, it, I would argue it is um, perhaps the most classic Heritage publication that we have. I think it's one of the most useful publications that we have. It's perhaps the most impactful that we've had over time. We'll get into it. I forgot. I was so, so uh, excited to introduce Anthony. I didn't do the important housekeeping. That's things, right. Which is, folks, email us, thepowerhour@heritage.org. Shoot me an email. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. That's thepowerhour@heritage.org. And John, can you tell folks how to find us? Yes, just go on your search engine, look at Heard at Heritage, The Power Hour. You'll find it where you get all your podcasts, either Apple, Spotify, uh, Ricochet, all those. And make sure to subscribe to The Power Hour and to share it with your friends, too. There you go, folks. So back to you, Anthony. I'm sorry I interrupted us. So, Anthony Kim, you edit the Index of Economic Freedom. But before we get into that, I want to know about... You, how, how did you end up here at the Heritage Foundation? How long have you been here? Sort of, what's your deal? Thank you, Jay. Once again, I'm so delighted to be with you today. I mean, you and I, we've been through a lot of uh, ups and downs in a very positive ups. sense. Ups. I don't know of any downs. There are slight downs in, in terms yeah, of relative sense, but uh, so great to be with you. And John, once again, thank you for helping Jack Spencer and his show so to make a long story short, Jack, uh, well, let's put it this way. I came down to Washington, D.C. last century. All right. So it's basically 1999. I came mm -hmm. down to Washington to pursue my graduate degree. And after a few classes, I didn't really feel that I, will go for, I would go for a Ph.D. or anything higher. So my goal back then was, okay, let me wrap up my graduate studies as, as efficiently as possible, and let's get out to the real world and then get some real experience. 
So I looked around, but I decided, okay, wrap up the graduate school first and let's see what happens. So again, to make a long story short, I joined the Heritage Foundation in 2001. And that was the Three grand Three years beginning. after me, by the way. So, and another good thing back then was I found this gentleman. At that time, this gentleman was a national security expert, especially nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles and long range. There's a gentleman named Jack Spencer. So I was owed by his presence, uh, his very <laughs> uh, muscular, you know, uh, approach in terms of uh, defending our country, our border. I was super impressed. I was with, and I've been with our Heritage International Economic Departments. And the Index of Economic Freedom has been a product of Heritage Foundation's foreign policy team. But this is not just a few individuals, whatever annual work. This is an entire Heritage Foundation's, if I may, signature and flagship product. Because in it, it has a lot of different dimensions and factors. I mean, we don't claim this publication we've been doing since 1995 as the rocket science publication. But I think it's very fair to say this annual publication is a good reminder, good entry point for greater policy discussions. And this is probably one of the best and most practical proxies when it comes down to real climate, not like a strange climate nowadays we are hearing about. I'm talking about climate of business environment, climate of economic policies around the world. So I'm so honored and delighted. It's been a great journey and in terms of making index, promoting index. And Jack, over the years, you've been a great messenger for our index as well. So once again, I'm very proud of being a Heritage Foundation product. I used to joke, I have two tattoos, one heritage, the other foundation. <laughs> what else do we need, right? So it's been a great journey. Uh, I'm sure that uh, we're going to have more fun with you, Jack, and many other issues. Because nowadays, all the issues, domestic policy, foreign policies, they're all interwoven. You know far better than I, Jack. So once again, I'm delighted to share my perspective and talk through a few things of our mutual interest for your audience. So Anthony, how long, how old is the index? So we have here, the most recent version is the 2023 version. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When did we start? How, how many of these have, have we done? So all the 90s, uh, there were discussions, rounds of discussions, you know, why freedom, especially economic freedom, free market system, really we have to measure to see what works, what not. So, you know, n number of years, very uh, thoughtful discussions. And the index, our Heritage Index of Economic Freedom, it's the product of that intellectual interaction among scholars and professors and real policymakers. The former president of the Heritage Foundation and founder, Edwin Fulner, Dr. Fulner was the one of the driving force. So we actually launched the very first index, the late 1995, around October, November timeframe. And since then, Every year, we've been producing this index because we thought having this consistency in terms of publishing our data and reminding people the importance of, you know, uh, transparency, openness, and efficiency, it really matters. And obviously, as you pointed out, we just published, what, when I say we just published, meaning this year we published the 2023 and next year, we're going to publish our 30th edition of the Index of Economic Freedom. 30th edition. Wow. Yes. Nice. Yeah, you know what I love about the index? It, What Heritage does so well is 
takes a leadership position in the conservative field to 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 put out this information to drive you know you know the, the it's like everything they do to, to their leader in the conservative you know realm to say okay this is important and here's the information to back it up so mm-hmm. that's what i love especially about this thank you john we're on the same page i hope we serve that goal and i think we're doing it uh, how long have you been involved with the index? So, you know, the whole reason I was brought into the Heritage Foundation, I should say I was very lucky, and I'm also still lucky, to work on this index of economic freedom. But as I said, you know, it's not just about data collection, data compilation. This is really about seeing what's happening around the world. And nowadays, more than ever, I think I'm going to just say this loud and clear, economic security is national security. And national security is economic security. I mean, Jack, you know, you're one of the few people who really understands that interconnection, interplay between economic security and national security. Now, even better, you become a a well-known, respected expert on energy issues. So the linkage, in my view, and linchpin between economic security and national security is actually energy security. So it's kind of a long way of answering your question, but, you know, we've been producing this index uh, for multiple reasons. And I'm so delighted to be part of the team because it really touches a lot of different dimensions. It's not just simple annual publication. It carries heritage mission and vision statement. You know, we collectively, we want to build an America where freedom, opportunity, prosperity, and civil society flourish. To have long-term sustainable level of high economic freedom, we got to have, obviously, freedom and opportunity, and we got to build up prosperity, and we should have a functioning civil society. So it really, it's not just an annual publication, but this is really a, a, a long-learning kind of a, a mothership, in a way, in terms of our policy. So you've been involved one way or the other since 2001. One. Two, 2001. Mm-hmm. Over those years, are there certain themes that have emerged from, mm-hmm. from the data? Sort of what, 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 what are your broad takeaways from a, a really macro level of what you've seen over the years? <clears throat> On that macro level, let me just say very simply and very straightforward way, economic freedom matters. I may add probably more than ever. Because when you think about economic freedom, this is not some kind of abstract, like a philosophical discussion. This is really about how can we make our economy grow so that we can spread the benefit of that economic growth. I mean, it's one thing that you want to try. You know, politicians, they talk about this all the time. You know, I want to spread. I want to, I want to tax high these companies and individuals. But before you talk about that political agenda, you should think about how we can really generate and create, you know, lasting, sustainable level of economic development and growth. Without growth, what would you share? So fundamentally, economic freedom is really essential part of any functioning society, and every year, as you mentioned, we had a number of different themes and perhaps, you know, big kind of research agenda. But always it comes down to a few specific principles we cannot ignore, whatever the grand theme may be. Number one, rule of law. Number two, the size of the government. We do not want to have unlimited government that invades our daily lives. We want to have a limited government. And we want to have efficiency, especially regulatory efficiency. Last but not least, we, had a, we have to have a certain level of openness when it comes down to our markets, when it comes down to our financial system. 
So these principles, they do matter, and that has been the really underlying theme of either you know, globalization or deglobalization, free trade policy, or you know, whatever different like, uh, uh, you know, uh, theme of uh, 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 policy discussions at, at the specific time of the year. So as you look over time, you have a unique perspective on this. What are some of the shifts you've seen globally? Have you seen economic freedom grow, shrink, you know, poverty grow, you know, sort of from a shifting standpoint? What, what shifts have you seen unfold mm-hmm. over this? The long-term trend, undeniable trend is since 1995, we can actually start, you know, maybe years before 1995, but overall trend over the past, let's say, three decades, 30 years of trend is very clear. As we as we move into rather than you know those you know communism socialism type of economic thinking, as we adopt although slowly but step by step different parts of the world, as we adopt greater efficiency, regulatory uh, efficiency, and market openness and limited government, the world as a whole, we've been seeing undeniable positive upward slope. Meaning, the economic freedom grows, and then a lot more people. Uh, have been able to has been able to get the benefit of it. So the overall trend line is very positive. But if you look into it in with more micro level scope, we have many many different stories. Some countries, you know, they basically abandoned their commitment to economic freedom. One country that comes to mind immediately, unfortunately, I would point out, United States. I mean, today's U.S. is very different from the United States years ago. What's I mean, the highest the United States has ever? Oh, I, I, we didn't tell people this. One of the things that you do in the index, or mm-hmm. the thing you do, mm-hmm. is you rank all the countries from yes. most economically free to most to to the least economically free, economically unfree. Mm-hmm. So within that, where what what has the United States best score been? We used to be as uh, one of the uh, mostly uh, the free economies, uh, one of the top six economies around the world. I'm talking about like, you know, uh, late 90s, early 2000. But since then, year by year, overall, we've been losing our economic freedom. So today, according to our latest index of economic freedom, unfortunately, we are world's 27th 27th, the United States economy. of America, freest. And it's unbelievable. Ahead of us, there are some strange European countries, too. I mean, some countries, they, they, they somehow figured it out, you know, uh, unlimited government spending is not good. They have a greater level of uh, regulatory efficiency. But here in the United States, unfortunately, we are still going through this, uh, you know, policy, uh, you know, like uh, discussions and political drives. Why? You know, the whole issue of ESG, you know, inclusiveness and greater government spending, welfare, COVID spending and everything. So the culprit of, you know, United States of declining economic freedom has been undeniably the bloated government uh, presence in our economy, in our society and spending issue, obviously, therefore debt level. And also, you know, better than anybody probably, too. The growing burden of regulations in the name of, again, uh, regulating and managing the economy. So I still remember, you know, when, you know, President Obama was running his presidential campaign back in 2008, the big thing was a global financial crisis. And he said, you know, I'm the one who will save the country. You know, I'm going to save you or rescue you 
But his way was, you know, basically spending mm -hmm. money out of the crisis. And I think we have that. And regulating. And then regulating in a, in a, in a 21st century version. And I think that lingering impact have been with us all the, all the years since then. And unfortunately, we, we, we just dealt with the COVID. And, you know, when Biden came in again, he basically copy and paste mm -hmm. what Obama did. So that's why we are seeing this unacceptable trend. You know, we are losing our economic dynamism and competition uh, against another, other parts of the world. Now, I want to come back to this as it relates to the United States and what it could mean. But this is an energy and environment podcast. Have you ever looked at the relationship between economic freedom and environmental well-being, um, that sort of thing? Absolutely. We actually first did that very empirically back in 2004. Because remember, you know, 1990s, you know, it was really about measuring some fundamentals. And we did that. And without index going on, we thought it's important for us to understand and see what kind of specific relationship there is between economic freedom, one factor, and another independent factor, whether that may be climate or, you know, GDP growth or GDP per capita or whatever, human development. And, you know, we've been finding consistently positive relationship between economic freedom and another independent variable. So when I'm emphasizing another independent variable, there's no whatsoever overlapping thing. It's very much uh, factor A and factor B, and let's see how they react to each other. Not surprisingly, there's a very good, positive, strong relationship between economic freedom and better management of uh, climate challenges and climate performance, basically. I, I, now, Anthony, I'm not one to correct our guests, but I got to push back on sure. you. Sure. It's not climate. It's environment. What we see is a better environmental outcome. The climate, I would argue, is going to do what the climate does. I, I think I appreciate that correction because nowadays— I should say clarification. Do you agree yeah, with my clarification? Absolutely. All because, right. you know, nowadays we've been hearing all about, like, climate challenge, climate change, environmental challenge, and all that. So I think— We've been, in a way, invaded by, you know, these, these agenda-driven people. They just want to insert, you know, this whole climate thing, environmental thing into our head right. in our daily conversations. So although I deal with a lot of numbers and facts, you know, I get confused. But when I mention climate, obviously, climate has been changing since whatever years. You know, we cannot really control this change in climate. Right. But what matters is, I guess, how we really uh, deal with it, uh, environmental issues. To me, let me just be very simple and fundamental. You know, how do we deal with the trash? That's a very much an environmental issue. Mm -hmm. You know, you earlier talked about, you know, CO2 emission and all that. Well, in order to get there to deal with these, these problems or challenges, we need what? Technology. Mm -hmm. We need what? Innovation. We need what? Healthy level of competition among private sectors and even governments. But I think the, the other side, the left side, they don't see those things as we discussed. They just see it. This is the best way. The only way they claim is the big government should mm -hmm. do something. 
well, big government is not enough. Mm-hmm. We need a, some kind of global body. Right. Bigger a, government. Bigger government. Well, you know, we need a, you know, another God who can, <laughs> who can help us. And then they put somebody like John Kerry. And, you know, it's so, such a strange political project it has become. Yeah. One of the perverse outcomes of the left's climate movement is a result of the relationship between economic growth and environmental cleanliness that you have demonstrated, and that is this. They are using the climate argument to reduce economic freedom significantly, and they are putting us on a terrible trajectory towards less and less economic freedom. The United States in the West is so prosperous that we're able to handle some of that. I think that's what you see in the in the U.S. score. We were very high, built a lot of prosperity. That gave a bunch of rich, elitist, do-gooder, busybodies a lot of space to screw with things. Mm-hmm. And they're screwing with things, and that economic freedom is coming down. Our prosperity is becoming less, almost all under the auspices of climate change. But eventually, there's not going to be any more to give. And we are going to be less prosperous. We're going to have less resources to manage the environment, and the result of that will be less environmental cleanliness. 100%. And that's where, th- that's where they're taking us. You know, what you just said is not just your personal, let's say, you know, assertion or argument. I mean, we can actually see a clear trend. You know, that's actually what's been happening. And let me put it this way, Jack, with your permission. I mean, you and I, we like steaks. And, you know, as you do, I like my steak rather than well done at least medium rare. So let's talk about things like a roll, you know, real stuff. If you look at it, whatever their agenda is really a disguise of really fundamentally some kind of strange redistribution scheme, political right. agenda. I mean, you can call it socialism, Marxism even, or whatever 21st century version. And their goal is very clear. How can they, how, how effectively they can really dismantle the system we've been, we've been enjoying, you know, the functioning civil society, free market systems. And we don't claim free markets are perfect, but we do know we have to constantly sort of look into the principles and revise those areas we can do better. But the other side, they just come up with a new whatsoever agenda. In this case, as you mentioned, it could be climate change, climate religion, environmental, whatever. And they just use it as a political tool, and then they, they basically force private sector and private citizens to adopt their political stance. I think that's what's been happening fundamentally. Yeah. You said that free markets are not perfect, and you're right. They're not perfect because free markets are made of free people, and people are not perfect. But what free markets do better than any other system of governance no question about it. is identify the imperfections, mm-hmm. and allow adjustments moving forward. I so mean, it doesn't mean really. that there's never any economic... There, free markets don't guarantee that there are no economic challenges. It guarantees that when an economic challenge arises, you can most efficiently respond and move forward. I 100% uh, agree with your tone here, because when we say free markets, we are not like a 100% pure, squeaky clean free market. I think that's near impossible. In my view... Free markets are, in a way, it's not an outcome. This is a process, in right. a way. 
So we constantly look for what? Solutions, because we'll have problems and challenges no matter how we do not want to have them. Because free markets expose the problems. Problems. Government creates problems. It also, when those problems arise that are counter to the government's interests or some special interest interests, the government then can then use wealth that it has taken from the populace to hide those problems. I mean, not only they create problems, I think they are trying to hide those problems. Yeah, they, absolutely they do. And you can't do that in a free market. The problem is, of course, when it comes to free markets is, though the American economy, Western economies in general are organized around principles of free markets, mm -hmm. we have not had, we probably have never had a true free market. And there's so much intervention throughout the economy now, as demonstrated by the Index of Economic Freedom, mm -hmm. that sometimes I fear that people blame on free markets what actually lies, that blame should be given to the government interventions. Again, that's another good point. And underlying that point is that I think we should really more than ever emphasize you know, what's really driving free markets. I mean, it's not only you know, this efficiency, competition. In a way, innovation is the outcome of free market functions, right? But ultimately, I think this is time for us to highlight and remind us of the importance of transparency, accountability, and all that kind of stuff. Because the big difference, obviously, between us and them is basically transparency, how much transparent kind of arguments and positions we are having. And I mean, you know, let's go like a country comparison. China and Russia, we do know they are not free marketers because they're so closed society. They don't have any level of transparency except for those you know, in power. Whatever they claim, they share among themselves. So the whole point about economic freedom is really very simple in my view. It's really about transparency, accountability, and perhaps openness when it comes down to an issue, how we debate. That's why I think the civil society, functioning civil society, I mean, I'm not expecting, I'm not imagining, I'm not picturing very you know, peaceful civil society. I mean, there's always tension, there's always debate, but I think we should have a very well-functioning civil society, robust debate and cons and pros, very yeah. civilized manner. Totally agree. I think something you said there that was important was that free markets, they're not the end game. They are the best avenue we've developed so far to get to where we as a society need to be. It's challenge. It's tough though, man, because the the left has done such a good job of of distorting everything and taking so much control of everything and and um, you know in a perfect world of course free trade is the optimal approach and we, we, we I don't want to get into it now it's not that's not what this podcast is about but there's a really robust debate going on about where does free trade lie today like you and I would both I, I would agree I suspect you would too that we want more free trade but you know, the, there is there is this debate in the in conservatism and in policy generally. Like, how can you have free trade when you have China and Russia and, and all these things going on? I, you know, if I may, you you really raise an important dimension here. I mean, I think at least I want to just touch upon you know those those things very quickly. Coming from 
let's say, Indo-Pacific Asia. I was born in Seoul, South Korea. So I think I kind of know China a bit better than many others here because, you know, I'm after all Asian-American. I kind of guess, you know, or more than guess what kind of, you know, thinking they may have. Particularly when I talk about China, I'm talking about the collective leadership, CCP, Chinese Communist Party. They've been actually enjoying what's been happening in the United States. Mm -hmm. And the left in the United States, I mean, I'll even say a, a, a political party in the United States, what they've been doing. And then the problem we have with the free trade nowadays, I think it's totally polluted by Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. You know, it was out of their desperation when they joined the WTO. And then they just took advantage of it. They just manipulated. Mm -hmm. We cannot really talk about free trade with an unfree society. Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I, we can talk about perhaps free trade between United States, United Kingdom, perhaps even with Germany and France and all others. Maybe South Korea, maybe Japan, because they share certain principles and values. But let's not forget China. Even the French. So I'll leave it up to you, Jack. <laughs> You're the expert on that issue. But when you look into what's happening in China, they are pure, like a really hardcore, you know, uh, command and control. Then how can we talk about that? And that, that brings us back. That is a good segue back into the energy and environment mm -hmm. issue, which is China's doing what they're doing. The left here has done at the same time. Uh, they are forcing American families and businesses to purchase certain types of energy in order to fulfill their alleged environmental agenda. And they are making it virtually impossible to develop those sources of energy in the United States. So they're pushing us towards China, who can develop the rare earths and the batteries and all of the stuff that they're making us buy. So you have the communist Chinese like, like you said, they're definitely laughing at us. I mean, the left is literally serving Americans up to China on a platter. It's unbelievable what what's happening right now, and that's what that and 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 that is the result of all of this, all of these special interests, the, as Trump called it, the swampiness. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. And man, I don't know how we get back to a real economic freedom agenda because there are so many things distorting. Mm -hmm. What it you know distorting the, the, those issues right now? Again, you and I, Jack, we're on the same page. That's why I said you know we've been through a lot of ups and downs. I think mm -hmm. this is one of the rare moments of downs because in the end we are not expecting very beautiful, clean, linear forty-five degree in our progress. There will be always ups and downs. Yeah. But this one, I think, eventually we can overcome because the good news is now we know. Now we know the true identity of. China. Okay. Again, nothing against the Chinese people, but CCP's agenda. The filthy commies. Filthy economies. <laughs> it's not really like, uh, you know, developing economy or whatever. I, I think that's very yeah, good description. Not, not economy, commies. The <laughs> filthy commies. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what it is. And I think, let's be very serious about this. I think before President Trump came to, you know, his office with the, with the with the new ideas and new set of engagement rules, I think United States, along with others around the world, in the name of economic development, in the name of helping China or changing China, I think we've been giving them a lot of benefit of doubts, probably unnecessary levels. Yeah, and I think that's true. I think a lot of us have rethought the way we think about 
And then China and the, you know as you pointed out, the left, they somehow probably without realizing it, I think they somehow kind of put their agenda very much in alignment with the CCP. Oh, they realize it. You know what the left think about at night when they're laying in bed? How great it would be to be a filthy Chinese communist and to have that level of control over everything. That's what I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit kidding, but maybe I'm a little bit not kidding. You know, that's completely like a role <laughs> on Cook State, but that's what it is, you know. Anyway, hey, Anthony, one thing I didn't, I was going to ask you about this, but we went in different directions. Perhaps the purest way to determine the impact of economic freedom and economic prosperity on the environment is through the index of economic freedom. Could you tell us the top? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but the top handful of countries yeah, yeah, on, yeah. in the index, and what are the bottom? And let's just have that. Let's just uh, then we'll assess the environmental cleanliness of those and see if see if our hypothesis pans out. You know, that's like a real real mess here, real demonstration of the uh, you know impact of uh, measuring economic freedom. I mean, on, on the one side, on one side we have countries like Singapore, Switzerland, even Sweden. And let's put the United States too. You know, twenty seventh. Yeah, I thought Sweden was. was I thought those those Nord, Nordic countries were a bunch of socialists. They used to be, but you know, they have their own social contract. While they are taxing high, spending you know high level of uh, government money in the name of uh, helping people and social safety net, they have a very good level of regulatory efficiency. Mm-hmm. So actually, starting a business in Sweden. Is actually easier than many other countries we know, including the United States. Yeah. So that makes a subtle difference. I think it makes. I wanted to. I'm glad you brought. I'm glad you brought those countries up because that's a big misnomer. I think in in America that the Nordic countries are mm-hmm. all. But let me socials. let me let me put it. I mean, you know, we're gonna keep talking about that dimension too. But like a Singapore, Taiwan, even Switzerland. Estonia, I think you've been to Estonia I with have somebody been. you know, yeah. and then Ireland even, uh-huh. and then again, you know, there are some other European nations like Lithuania and all that. And then the other side, we have a country like a Sudan, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, Russia, China. But imagine real stalwarts for environmental cleanliness, where you want to go if you and breathe in the fresh air and enjoy the 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 beautiful unpolluted uh, environment. That's where you go for those things, right? I mean, just imagine yourself as a tourist. I mean, it's a very simple thing. Let's forget about data and all that stuff. You are, in a way, visiting Switzerland. What do you see? You know, very well-preserved natural environment. If you go to, like, you know, Sudan, I mean, it's a tragedy, the human sadness, in a way. I mean, you don't have to really get into measuring temperature. Look at the streets. Of, uh, you know. In fact, don't measure temperature. Just look at the streets. Like, literally, if you want to know how how a place is doing, look at the freaking streets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Breathe the air. Exactly. Exactly. We don't need a bunch of unelected bureaucrats telling us how the environment is doing. We have five senses that do just fine in de- making such deter- determinations. I mean, in the end, advancing economic freedom means making the government the best servant of your whatever need. I mean, the government, public sector, is supposed to be delivering public service to you and our fellow citizens. But in a way, nowadays, public sector is like the guy who demands everything from yeah. us. So it's basically a very different, different situation. Yeah, like, 
we're, this is off topic, but it's something that I observed a number of years ago regarding the United States or Western countries and their relationship with international organizations. Originally, these international organizations were developed to serve the interests of the countries. And then there was a transition that occurred after the Cold War, where the countries began serving the interests of a lot of international organizations. And the United States has largely stayed clear of that, but not exclusively, while European countries and other countries that we associate with sort of more liberal, yes. not classically liberal, approaches, they've, they've become... The, the they serve the interests of the of the international organization. The international organization has also almost become a super national uh, entity. Entity, yeah. We're seeing the same thing happen in Western culture now at the individual level, where the states are no longer existing to protect the freedom of the citizens to pursue their own happiness, but the citizens have 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 become subjects of the state. The thing that our forefathers fought wars to stop after centuries and millennia of it being the other way. We've gotten a couple of centuries of freedom, and you see it reversing right before our very eyes where we have become subjects of the state, where our interests come after the states. And that's the direction this environmental stuff is taking us. Absolutely. I mean, you know, let's even go down further. I mean, you know, the other side is really trying to destroy human basic fundamental structure. I'm talking about family. Right. I mean, you know, that's where, I mean, again, this is why I cannot understand, you know, why these guys are running around without any proper punishment. Maybe we are so, so patient. Maybe we're so good. Maybe we're so generous. Let them speak their minds. But I think time's up now. I think we got to be really uh, apt, basically. Yeah, family and religion. That's the first thing that, that dictators go after, because if you take away family and religion— you need someone to provide it's that. Easy and you to go to destroy government. the yeah. whole system. God, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it, Anthony Kim. But, but I don't hate. Oh, go ahead. But one more point. I mean, yeah. you know, people may, your listeners may be wondering what the heck these guys are talking about. They talked about economic freedom, environmental issues, and all that thing. The family and religion. My point is very simple. It's not. They are not isolated. They are not mutually exclusive. Right. This is a one big pie we really have to look into because of the interplay and interconnectedness. There you go. That's a good last word. Anthony Kim, thank you for coming on to the Power Hour. Thank you very much, Jack. John, really appreciate your time with me. Now, do you have like a, a social media thing or anything that you want to I'm send? a very simple guy. Uh -huh. Email, obviously. The only social media I have is, uh, you know, X nowadays. Right. So, you know, you guys can find me through Harry's website and my my you know, count and all that. So I'd love to stay in touch and answer any questions you may have. All right. So there you go. If you have questions, you can email us at thepowerhour at heritage.org. You can email Anthony directly. Let him know that you heard him on the Power Hour, and I'm sure he'll answer uh, whatever you have. So very good, Anthony. Thank you so much. John, do you have any final words? Yes. Uh, I think we should put some information in the show notes about the Index of Economic Freedom. I'll make sure we, so people can find out more about it. So thank you for we, that line, John. Yep. Oh, Anthony, when does the next? When does the twenty twenty four index come out? So next edition of the index will be available only next year. Earl, now will you come back on and talk about the I'll index again I'll and about these sorts of issues? I'll be honored. All right, and, we're going to do and that. Steak. And yes. steak. <laughs> Maybe we'll have some steak. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I will bring deer steak from the deer that wow. I killed this weekend because bow season opens up this weekend. Oh, that's I right. can't wait. That's I'm right. fired up about that. That's right. Anthony and John, thank you both for making the Power Hour what it is. Thank you to everyone out there for taking some time out of your day to listen to the Power Hour. Tell your friends, your family to check us out. 
John, tell us one more time where people can check us out. Yeah, just look up Heard It Heritage, The Power Hour, and do that on any search engine, and you'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Ricochet, all your podcast sources. And please subscribe to The Power Hour and share. There we go. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.